What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick, and we're back for part two of our discussion of the defense against the Chiefs. Joining me again is Jordan Coe. Jordan, how are you doing? Good, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Always always a pleasure, my friend. So uh, uh, the second part, we talked a lot in the, in the first episode. We always have to talk about what we talked about there. Uh, we talked about a lot about the 2024 Ravens and what they might look like. Uh, the possibility of retaining... Uh, some of the players they have, Justin Matabike really being the centerpiece of that defense, the possibility of emergence of some young players who we saw some good things from this year. Uh, have the Ravens waited too long to play some young players in their history? I think the answer is clearly there have been cases of that, uh, and that might be happening right now because this is a, a deep and talented team. Obviously, you've got to this point, but go back and download part one. Listen to that. It's, it's a worthwhile listen. It's always fun to talk football with Jordan. So here we are. Uh, it's a day after. We've had a little bit of time to decompress. Let's talk about some of the individual performances for the Ravens. Start us off with a player you want to talk about. I mean, how can you start with anybody but Kyle Hamilton? I mean, this cemented his status as an all-pro, as consistently what I think is going to be one of your best corners, safety, hybrid, whatever you want to – whatever that position ultimately needs to be called. But this guy is phenomenal. His smarts – uh, his tackling ability, um, his strength. I mean, all the all the things that 
you know, everybody said that we're going to be issues with him have not shown up or not everybody said, but that were potentially issues that caused him to fall out of the top five in the draft, allowed the Ravens to get the, a phenomenal talent. And I mean, you heard Nance and Romo consistently throughout the game. I mean, I think there was a, a multiple points where when a Ravens player made a tackle, Jim Nance's comment was who else, but Kyle Hamilton. Yeah. Um, and that was, I mean, that was my takeaway from this game. He, is a guy that you have to build this defense around next year. Um, and it's one of those things where you, you can't be, you know, I, I said this in the last version of the podcast, the chiefs spam Travis Kelsey. When they get to the playoffs, they look and they target and they build the offense around Kelsey first. And if it's there, they take it and they take it. What? 11, 12, 13 times in this game. I think they threw it, thir- at least 13 throws. I think went to um, Travis Kelsey in this game. Um, you know, he had to, there was definitely an incompletion. I'm looking at ESPN. 11 out of 11, according to the game book. I thought I remembered an incompletion that was in, at least in his direction. But either way, they're they're looking to throw it to him. 25% of the time, 28% of the time, right out of the gate, the Chiefs trying to throw the ball to Travis Kelsey. That means he's the first read, probably on 40, 45% of the plays. My my recommendation to the Ravens, not that they care what my recommendation is, is do the same thing on defense around Kyle Hamilton. Make him the focal make make him do make quarterbacks do exactly what they had to do with Ed Reed. Find Kyle Hamilton, identify what they think that he's going to be doing, how he's going to affect the play, react accordingly, and then let your your leader, Roquan Smith, adjust to that on the other side of that. I think that's a recipe for success. And I think that, you know, I said this on the prior podcast. I think a lot of why Mike McDonald was really good this year had a lot to do with Roquan Smith and, and in particular Kyle Hamilton. Yeah. I mean, one of the nice things about having Hamilton play, I mean, you can, you can use them in either role. That's strong safety. You can use them at slot corner. You could probably play them at dime if they wanted to next year. I, I wouldn't recommend it, but but I, but either slot corner or or on the back end is fine. If he plays on the back end, you can rob her. You could do a lot of the, the rotational coverages, the matchup zone that they want to play, and he provides you a lot of value there. Um, you just lose some of the value as a tackler, as a pass rusher, as a guy who's coming downhill on short passes. He's starting from further back, and that's more of a difficulty. And that's where he's super, super valuable close to the line of scrimmage. I think people also tend to overvalue um, speed at slot corner. Not, not. It's not unimportant. It's important. Hamilton gives you a lot of offsetting positives that are greater than the speed matchup you can get. And even the twitchiest speed guys – they can't keep up with the twitchy slot receivers. So as, so as soon as they stick their foot in the ground, they know what they're doing. It doesn't matter that they're three-tenths of a second slower on the 40 time. They know how to be twitchy versus even a very gifted athlete across from them and get free. And that's why it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really pay to overvalue speed at that position. What the versatility of having a guy who can just do everything and sheds blocks like nobody on that side of the field is so valuable. All right, my turn, right? Name a player. Uh, You're up. Yes, I'll uh, I'll go to Justin Matabike because I think Matabike, we talked about this a little bit in the first show, really um, virtually sealed the fact that the Ravens will use the franchise tag owner if they can't get him signed before then. So they'll they'll talk. They'll want it to be amicable, um, but but he's going to get some version of the franchise tag if he doesn't sign a long-term deal. And the Ravens are empowered to do this because, frankly, I think if they franchised him, they still have the ability to trade him. So it's it's going to be a case where somebody else sees enough surplus value for Matabike that they can have him for this year, sign him long-term, and still give up a reasonable draft pick. 
and you look at what the what the Bears gave up for Sweat, right? The Bears are the one who's got Sweat, right? Yeah, Young went mm-hmm. to the 49ers. Yeah, um, I, I think you know that's the kind of franchise who Matabike could potentially end up playing for and being a centerpiece for. Um, but on the other hand, it's it's going to be a team that does not have the Ravens' problem of having more draft picks than they can afford to sign at the end of their initial contract tenure. So we, we're, we're here with, uh, you know, looking back at that 2020 draft, and it was a hell of a draft. When you go back and look at it, you look at the, at the guys they drafted. I mean, they already cut one and got back Geno Stone. So I can't really count him, but I still will because it's the end of his period. And then they had Patrick Queen, of course, who they're, they're going to lose this offseason. They had J.K. Dobbins, who it's up in the air whether he might stay as a Raven, but I think it's it's probably unlikely. Justin Matapike, who is the big question this offseason. Devin Duvernay, who I don't see how they retain him. I think probably somebody else finds value in him, but maybe the Ravens find a way to you know bring him back as a gadget guy and return man. Malik Harrison, um, I think probably will stay with the Ravens. I don't think he signed a multi-year deal. I don't think he's signed yet, but... He, he strikes me as a guy that the Ravens want to keep around as an Albert McClellan-type core special teamer who also brings some value on defense. And then you have Broderick Washington, who already has been re-signed. So each draft that you have, that class rolls off. You have to make difficult, pains, heartbreaking choices about who are the cornerstone guys you're going to keep. The Ravens had more than they could keep from, from this particular draft class, and it's going to end up with some players leaving. Uh, and and that's just uh, that's just the way life goes. But it's a hell of a lot worse to be in the Chicago Bears position, have nobody you want to keep, and be willing to trade your first round draft pick to have half a season inside somebody like like Sweat to a long term deal and being willing to overpay like that. Yeah, no, without a doubt. And and Matt BK has earned it. We talked already about his performance in this game. I think I think his star is going nowhere but up. And I also think that the Ravens. I don't know that the Ravens thought that Matabike was going to be this good coming into this year. Right. So again, when we're talking about stylistically how you're building your defense, you know, you're building it with Kyle Hamilton as being a focal point to try and get the attention of the quarterback and letting your inside guys potentially adjust. And then you're building what you're trying to do on the defensive line. Now a little bit more about around Matabike in terms of scheme as you're coming into the year and the team can think about how they want to build kind of some of these guys that they're signing around that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's a good problem to have from that sense. It's going to be difficult for them to get a long term deal with Matt BK. But the nice thing about the tag is they're going to they're going to do it and they're just going to have the option then to trade or make a deal, which I think is is the way they'll they'll end up going on this. But it will be the big the big judgment of the offseason is can they really get him signed? Do they have to trade him Um, or because he won't be able to play under the franchise tag? That's the one thing that the Ravens really probably can't can't live with of the of the potential solutions. Um, Matty Bike in this game contributed to both sacks. He had two other pressures. He drew two consecutive holding calls that were huge in terms of negating big plays, both on Trey Smith. Um, and Trey Smith and Allegretti was too much for either of them. And the Ravens were really looking to get one-on-one matchups from Matty Bike that way. They also moved him out a little bit to rush off the edge, maybe two plays or so. Uh, where they try to get him on Donovan Smith. Now, Donovan Smith's left tackle, Taylor, on Taylor. And uh, I did a good job with that, too. So uh, this, this is a, just a, a great game, and it's, you know, being on the stage it was, I think the rest of the NFL is now put on notice about who Justin Matabike is. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, the guy I'll take 
next is Brandon Stevens, who, you know, I think there are probably some fans that are upset with Brandon Stevens after this game because he continually was the guy that kind of, when they were in man or some form of man, that was the guy the Chiefs were trying to pick on. Um, and the Chiefs just have good offensive design. Um, but I think that Brandon Stevens deserves some flowers and a little bit of credit here. He had tight coverage on a couple different plays in those circumstances. I think he had six solo tackles in this game. He was an important part to kind of keeping this Chiefs offense in check overall. And even though he was the volume guy that got picked on, and that's I think that's been the 2023 season for Brandon Stevens mm-hmm. in a nutshell, is he was the vol- he was the, the guy that everybody was going to go after because they weren't looking at going after somebody else. Um, he still held up, and I thought he played a pretty good game here overall i you know i i don't know that i put a a specific number or rating on it but i was very happy and impressed with what we've gotten from brandon stevens and and thought that you know his trajectory continues to grow i think you know he's almost in like that marlon humphrey position now where there's like a a question of like i I think we liked or i like marlon humphrey his first couple years but there were questions about his ball skills um and whether or not he could kind of take it to the next level he started forcing more fumbles um obviously i think some of his in the air ball skills improved and i think that's kind of the next step for brandon stevens at this phase of trusting himself in some of these coverages and being willing to jump routes when he's in man when he knows he has the ability to that and not just be this sticky guy in coverage he's got to kind of take a next step in terms of where that awareness is and if he's able to do that, then Brandon Stevens could be a very good cornerback in this league for a very long time. Yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm very positive about Brandon Stevens' position. There's no doubt about it. He's one of the Ravens' really important cornerbacks going into next year. I don't want any talk about him changing positions again. Um, you know, the Ravens need a safety. I don't want him to be it. That would be that would be a big reduction in value for for Stevens. They found his position. This is good. What I will say is the last four games, he actually probably played his worst ball of the season. Um, I, in, in the last four games, he gave up almost 10 yards of target, uh, was targeted about 24 times in those games. He did have one really good game in there. That was actually against Pittsburgh in the rain where he was only targeted once on a deep ball and it went incomplete. But the rest of the other three games, you, you know, he's allowing basically 10 yards of target. And, you know, that part is not ideal. But on the other hand, I agree with you completely in this game, very tight coverage on Kelsey uh, on one of those plays that, that was a conversion. Um, just, just an un- yeah, I, yeah, on the fourth and two, right. And uh, unfortunate circumstances, um, in general and asked to do an awful lot in this defense with, with Marlon Humphrey back, you have more options, um, in terms of how you do it. I do think that with Humphrey and Stevens, they play, they will play a set sides of the field role. And basically that's what Stevens did this year. He played right cornerback and either Darby or Yassine or Humphrey when healthy played left corner. Yeah. So I I just think he's there's there's room for growth in his game. And I think it'll be is very interesting, especially for a guy that didn't play a lot of corner and and isn't a corner guy. One of those one of those players that could be with the right coaching on that upward trajectory. Do do you make him a priority to sign a long term deal this offseason? Because I think he's the guy other than Matt Abike that you could go after. Probably not a cornerstone deal, but this is this is a divisible benefit deal. You know, it depends on what they do with the rest of the cap. I think that that if they feel like it's something that they need, but if they're going to make other commitments that are going to weigh really heavy in 26, depending on whatever the way they might want to structure them out of BK or do something else, then heavy commitments in 26 might make me wait a little bit 
on Stevens to see what that looks like down the road. Okay. So uh, I'm, what I would be trying to get done right now, given where Stevens is, four years, $30 million, maybe a little bit more. I don't know if that's a, even an exciting number to him at this point because he's, all he's got to do is wait one more year and he can he can get really paid. Of course, that means he's got to play that last year out at a little more than a million dollars a year, whatever the third round draft pick salary in his fourth year is. Um, but it's you know he, he, if he wants to take a little bit of um, and that usually the way the Ravens structure that those contracts, they guarantee the money, but the contract starts after the next year. So they've got them on a contract for this fourth year. So it'll be years five through eight or five through seven that the Ravens are buying at an eight million AAV, let's say. I'm not sure that wouldn't be attractive. I think Stevens has got to consider this is a defense I'm good in. This is a, you know, yeah, maybe I could get a little bit more, but then I don't know where I'm playing. I could end up with the commanders. I could end up with, you know, Arizona. I could end up in a place where, you know, the situation is a hot garbage can other than me. And, you know, just, I, I, I'm not sure that I'd want to do that for him. Yeah. And Jalen Armour Davis has not seemed to be able to stay healthy. Kai Blue Kelly got cut, right? Um, mm-hmm. Pepe Williams is not proved to be somebody that the Ravens can rely on up to this point. So maybe it's a little bit more reasonable than I'm giving it credit for that the Ravens do try and get Steven Stein to something long-term now. And, you know, again, 430 seems like a lot to me (laughs) for Stevens, but I don't know, maybe some of that is a little bit of PTSD of some of his poorer play on the earlier side of that, which is not the player that you're getting at this point. Right. I think he definitely has grown into being a cornerback and, and yeah, he's a guy who played basically every snap the entire season. So, you know, it's, That's, it's real nice little bit of trivia there. <laughs> well, it's really good value too. I mean, one of the things about Joe Flacco, you know, he wasn't perfect and he wasn't always lighting it up, but rarely got hurt was always consistently going to be playing. He was a guy that you could count on, but you can have guys that are going to be playing every single snap um, or going to give you 16 to 17 games every year that shouldn't be overlooked because at least, uh, you know, we kind of talked about it earlier when you can count on something, it's nice to be able to, to be able to have that in your stable. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you pick Stevens. Who do I want to talk about? Let's talk about Kyle Van Noy. Um, uh, he's a guy, he's first of all, he's had a great year and and I do want to talk about his future, but let's talk about the game just first. Uh, drew one holding penalty should have drawn another. Uh, I thought, um, he had, uh, two contributions to two different pressure events, which was something, uh, let's see, what do I have him down for here? Uh, a pressure and one late quarterback hit. So it came well after three seconds after the pocket had been flushed. Um, but he did end up getting the QH on the play, and that's always nice to put put Mahomes on the ground. Um, and, and then also he had a great diagnosis on that screen pass to the right, which is on a third and fairly long. It's probably not going to be converted, but why take the chance? He realized it immediately, and he took down, uh, I think it was Pacheco, but it might have been might have been Edwards Hilaire for a loss on the play, loss of four, and uh, and that ended that drive and, and forced a punt. So nice, really nice overall game for Van Noy. He's, he's you know, it's a really weird situation because Van Noy thought he was worth a lot of money, and he was right. By the way, he held out; no one gave it to him. The Ravens came back with a vet minimum, and they paid it to him. And and uh, Van Noy ends up getting nine sacks after starting the Ravens the fourth game, which is his career high, career high in sacks for Van Noy. And he'd been a pretty good pass rusher for four straight years, but you'll see what I'm getting to in a second here. Kyle Van Noy right now is, let's get this right now. 
His birth date is 61990. So this June, he's going to turn 34 years old. I don't anticipate a super large market for Kyle Van Noy. I think he, whatever deal he'll get, is there a two-year deal out there for him? I don't, I don't even really believe it. I think you know, you're at this point in your career, people don't want to be caught in the two-for-one trap. If the player wants to play one year and you can't really structure a deal over two years that guarantees that you know you, both sides will be happy kind of thing and no one's going to walk away from that. Um, you, you almost got to feel like the guy's going to play for four years before you're willing to sign him for two years at that kind of age. And the Ravens did it with Calais Campbell, but I don't think they're going to do it with – sorry, I, I, well, I don't think they'll sign Van Noy to a multi-year deal. But I think that the market is going to be so limited for him that he may be back in Baltimore next year just because – He's a fantastic bargain bin option, uh, fair or not. And, th- and that may mean $3 million plus incentives next year. I, I would I would give him $3 million plus incentives next year right now. <laughs> sure. I mean, he's a glue guy. He's a smart guy. I mean, I, I think especially with the pending loss of Mike McDonald, I'm just going to assume that it's a given here. You want these smart type players they're the guys that you need to be filling in the other spots on this roster. Um, and And I think I just think he's a guy that you've got to find a way um, unless someone's going to give him a big deal. This is very much like Geno Stone where the Ravens are living in a win-win scenario where, and, and so is Kyle Van Noy, where if Kyle Van Noy can get paid a really big chunk of money and go earn that money. And that's what he's going to use to retire and ride off into the sunset on great for Kyle Van Noy. I have no ill will towards him for that. And if it's a high AV, better for the Ravens to get a better comp pick in the upcoming year, or at least offset any balances of something that they might want to sign. So, um, you know, that's how I view it, but he's a guy, I mean, the Ravens are going to need depth at that outside linebacker position. You know, I'd like to see them be able to bring a guy like Jadavian Clowney back too, but you know, I think that one's going to be a little bit more difficult unless he's willing to take something that's on a team team structure deal. And so I think that leaves Van Noy as the guy that you're, you're going to say, Hey, Let's find a way to get you here. We're going to get you 45 to 60% of the snaps in games and, and let's go, let's go ride again. Yeah. And maybe that at this age, he'd rather play less than more, but regardless of what the thing, I don't think you make any more promise about playing time than what he had this year. I thought that was a great rotational thing. Obviously it maximized his value, you know, well, you know, he got more value out of himself than, than he's ever had before, you know, Kyle Van Noy also a guy, I don't know how you look at this. And and as someone who's basically jumped out of a much higher earning role into what I do now because it's what I wanted to do, um, you know, this this it, it comes more naturally to me to to to, to just want to want to take less and and enjoy my career more. Uh Kyle Van Noy has earned $42 million playing this game. Now I'm not saying he shouldn't maximize this. And if this is his goal, God bless him. He's he's he should be able to live his life however he wants to. But just in trying to handicap how he might view it, I might think at this point, the difference isn't about three versus five and a half million plus incentives. The difference is about what's my chance for a ring playing with Lamar Jackson as opposed to playing with Kyler Murray. Well, that's I think that's the question is, is there another team that is going to give him a call that also has a legitimate shot at the Super Bowl. I think right. that, that I think that is the question that it's going to come down to for him. I think obviously the difference between someone look, if someone's going to offer him 10 million a year to go play with Kyler Murray, he should go play with Kyler Murray and if he doesn't then he should give me a call and we should have a conversation because the difference between 3 to 5 and 10 million dollars is is life-changing right for anybody so whether you've earned 40 million up to this point or not um and he should take that but if the difference is 
you know, five guaranteed versus three, you know, plus some incentives with the Ravens, then I think he's going to think long and hard about it. And look, we've heard from not just Kyle Van Noy, not just Odell Beckham, but other guys that have come through the Ravens locker room through all these years, that they're a team that does it the right way, that people like playing in Baltimore. They enjoy being here. They enjoy being on these teams. And I think that's got to count for something too. I, I Well, I would agree with that. And but I think the aging pass rusher group is a, is an incredibly special, specific niche group for a lot of reasons. First of all, there's more aging players in the bargain bin there than, than in almost any other key position. So there's no aging cornerback market because those guys are, you know, they're on the decline side of their career. A lot of times the, the, the pass rushers, they still can give you a lot. They just can't give it to you as many snaps and they don't want to really play rundowns. And, you know, there's this and that. So you have to have other players that, that fit in around them. That works just fine at that position because it's there's so much leverage involved in how much value you get out of your pass rushers. So uh, the other thing I think about that group is that there are a lot of guys there who don't really want to go through the grind of training camp and the offseason. They really want their time to themselves. And they, they, you know, they know how to work out. They're going to stay in shape and they know implications of it. They completely understand that. They also, their, their positions are just not complex enough as situational pass rushers that they need to be learning a, a, a big complex defensive scheme. Now they could learn something from Chuck Smith even at their age when they come to camp. But on the other hand, Van Noy, I think really part of his decision, it wasn't just about money. In Clowney's case too, I think it was a case of they kind of didn't want to go through the entirety of camp and and have the grind of that. And, and each of them got out of it. And there's been other players I've thought that about too. And if I've got that wrong for somebody, come on the show. Tell me why it's different. <laughs> I'd love to have you. And uh <laughs> We'll do that. Well, and I think the question comes down to how much money, right? Like how much money do you have? What is that money doing for you, right? Like what is another set of earnings really going to do to impact that and your life and your future? And then you're deciding about how your knees feel at the end of that. And it makes it a little bit different. If you don't have any money saved up and that money isn't working for you, knees be damned. <laughs> yeah. you're going to go out and take the extra couple million dollars because it makes a difference. But if you've been smart about it um, or, or if, if you, if you set yourself up well, cause you can, it doesn't just mean that you were being smart. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to kind of demean anybody that has lost their money in this process. Um, you know, you, you can make those decisions when you set yourself up correctly. And it sounds like Van Noy is in that situation. I think the flip side of that coin is that the Ravens should be willing to pay Van Noy a little bit sooner than another team might right now because he understands the scheme, he understands the locker room, and he really seems like a play like a Raven kind of guy in a way that Justin Houston, as an example, I would say – I like Justin Houston, and I think situationally as a pass rusher, he brought a lot to the team. I think Van Noy is a guy that you can pay less than a guy like Houston and brings more of an all-around kind of dynamic to what the Ravens might want to use a guy like him for. And so I might prioritize getting Van Noy back if it meant giving him three and a half instead of three and a couple more incentives in order to not wait and see which guys were left on the on that kind of pile heap that you were talking about that are waiting it out and trying to see what they can get. I think it, I don't think that all of them are made the same and Kyle Van Noy is made to be a very good fit, fit for the Ravens. Yeah, I, well, I, I agree with that. The, but what, I, what I would say is that that pile is a lot deeper than people think it is. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I think you have to, oh, oh my God, if you can't draft a pass rusher, you're dead. Ravens have actually proven over these last three to four years that they're able to search that bargain bin and find the quality gems that are still in there. In in Houston, Van Noy and Clowney are three great examples of, of doing exactly that. JPP was a guy who really brought value in terms of what he could do for the team. And I, I, I Mc, Pernell McPhee, I mean, it's just so many times they've, they've been able to, to pull this off. I trust them to do it again. And it's one of the reasons why I don't really prioritize, prioritize pass rusher in this draft. I still hope they'll get something out of a Jabo. I, I, I hope for more ascension from Owe, who's already a pretty damn good player. And then I want them to find the, the, the complementary pieces that go with those two um, that can, that could really make it work. And it might be one guy. It might be two. Um, any chance it's Caius, Caius Bowser at this point? Jeez. I mean, talk about a guy that's been forgotten. You hope. I mean, how much better the, the Ravens will not have to bring the, I mean, if Bowser were able to be, and you just can't count on him. I mean, obviously they know his health situation and he knows his health situation, but he, if he were able to come back and play at a high level, then maybe you don't need to resign a guy like Clowney um, and play at the level that we've gotten from Bowser in his career. Um, that being said, you hold out hope and you hope he comes back and you hope he's able to play for a lot of different reasons. Right. Um, but geez, that could be a huge, he's, he's also the perfect He's also the perfect fit for this team. Yeah. Yeah. He, he definitely, it, the Ravens kind of got by without having that Sam linebacker this year. And they still were able to do things with McDonald's uh, wizardry and dealing with the pass rush. But w- when they had a more pressure based system, you know, when that was the, you know, the fastball for this team, they really needed Bowser to drop from the line of scrimmage and provide them with those schematic uh, blitzes that Wink liked, and uh, and it's it's. I think it was honestly it was less important for this team to do that. And that's not like Van Noy never dropped a cover or whatever. But I don't have four one fifty on my score sheets that much today, which means four four rush, one drop. Number fifty is the guy, <laughs> and it's just it wasn't a common common thing. I didn't look at his total his total uh, coverage snaps for the year. Forty three coverage snaps for the year. So it's it, he dropped uh, right around ten percent of the time. Uh, on passing downs. Yeah, re- really just solid player that added a lot to this team this year. I I think I'm up. I, I mean, I'll, I'll take I'll take Roquan Smith uh, just to say that there's not a lot to say. This guy is a warrior. He's fierce. I think he took a lot of flack. I, I mean, look, you're going to this is what's going to happen when you are as much of a leader and not much out in front as he is and your team doesn't win, but he still played a really good game. There were a couple good blocks on him. There were a couple times the Chiefs got up on the second level on him, and they were obviously – look, 
it's funny. And I like Mitchell Schwartz. If anybody, you know, you like following football, he's a guy that I'd recommend following on Twitter. Really kind of direct, clear, straight up guy. You know, and I'm saying this right after we lost to the Chiefs. So I mean it. <laughs> Ex-offensive um, lineman, played right guard for the Chiefs for a while. Uh, yep. And right tackle, right guard. Right tackle. Right tackle. Yeah. Right tackle. Either way. Um, you know, he came out after the game and he said, Oh, the Chiefs were they they were hunting Roquan Smith. And they showed a couple like clips where they did get to the second level. Yeah, they were hunting Roquan Smith. Like, like the offensive linemen of the other team are hunting the best linebacker of the defense in every single play. This is not they were not motivated by Roquan Smith's locker room <laughs> stuff. And yeah, like there was a clip, I think, of um one of the Smiths um like playing Roquan Smith's like kind of pre-press conference bit before, like after the game playfully. And I think these kind of things happen, but I don't believe for a second that that bulletin board material made the deep offensive line of the chiefs play better and had them motivated to block him better. I mean, he had, he was Roquan Smith was all over the field in this game. He had a couple, he had a monster hit at one point on Rasheed Rice, where I, I thought he wasn't going to get back up and play again. Um, right. He, you got everything that you wanted. I think the only play that really, there were a couple of plays where I felt like he lost Travis Kelsey in his drop and needed to be the under guy right in front of him. Um, yeah. And the chiefs didn't run those plays a lot. And, it, and it, what's funny is that the dolphins did it wrong in that sense in their game, which is that they were running those plays over him. And once Roquan Smith realized he what was happening, he adjusted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, the chiefs didn't do it too many times, right? They only did it a couple of times. They were successful when they did it. They didn't try and overdo it because they knew that he was going to adjust. I think into some of those drops accordingly, recognize what he was seeing in front of him. Roquan Smith. I'm, you can't be more happy about the Ravens having an inside linebacker, bringing this demeanor and bringing back to the Ravens defense, what they have been historically as a team. Just really happy that he's a Raven. I'm I'm thrilled as well. Don't really have a lot to add to that in terms of the results of this game. Uh, he's a guy who shows up regularly w whenever we do this. Uh, lots of tackles end up being defensive wins. Uh, that that's uh, you know just a, a standard of the Roquan thing. Great downhill player finds the gap well. He's a, even even when he's being blocked. The fact that the Chiefs rush for 2.8 yards per play is largely a function of Roquan Smith. He's, he is the leader. He is the gap director in terms of how the Ravens get those things shut down, how they penetrate, um, uh, and, and the chances, frankly, Patrick Queen is able to take behind him um, in doing things. I mean, he, he, he cleans up a lot of messes, as does Kyle Hamilton. Um, so anyway, it's it's a uh, really nice to have Roquan and, and could not be happier that they signed him and the growth in him since his time with the bears is also something I am just shocked by and how much better a player he is now than he was with the bears. It's just, is it's, it's, you saw a very inconsistent player in a very not well-structured scheme uh, moving to now a, a great scheme who's become an extremely disciplined player and leader himself. Um, I don't know much about his time in the Bears as a leader, but it wouldn't surprise me if the transitory nature of what was going on with the Bears um, would have made it difficult for him to lead in that environment. You know, if you have a lot of players who just aren't committed to being with the Bears, uh, you know, do, do you want to listen to, to, to <laughs> Roquan preach to you about how important it is to go out this Sunday and when you're when you're a three and twelve team and try and win the last two games of the year right. kind of thing? You're not winning. I mean, winning solves everything, right? Winning solves yeah. everything. It solved everything for the Chiefs this year, which was not a great regular season year for the Chiefs. Winning, winning makes up for all these things, and I think I think that lets guys like that come out of their shells too.
All right. Um, I think that'll that'll do it for to, for today on the on the players. Unless you got somebody else you want to talk about. We talked about Hamilton. We talked about uh, Darby. Oh my God. There's really no one else I need to talk. About. Um, I, maybe I'll take a couple seconds to talk about Michael Pierce, who I think had a terrific game. Um, really came to life in the fourth quarter with a bunch of pressure. Um, he got half a sack, and I think we all saw that. He got a pressure on another play. He got the pressure on the MVS completion. He was just a hair late. If that ball goes incomplete and pierces in Mahomes' face or the ball gets deflected or he actually gets a sack or he just disrupts it and it's an incomplete pass, um, any of those things, the Ravens get another chance, but obviously uh, it was not to be, and and uh, Pierce uh had a great a great game great year and i'm very happy they re-signed him yeah i think the one guy i would throw a missive out here about at the end is marcus williams i think that mm-hmm. we saw how good he can be when he's healthy he had a pass breakup in this game i think that i think that you hope that he comes back healthy fully healthy next year the defense that's rotating around roquan and kyle hamilton marcus williams should be on paper a statistically much better performer when it comes to the end of the 2024 season i'm looking forward to it all right, fantastic. Let's uh, let's go hit up the mailbag right now, and we got a few things going on. Got some good stuff here. Um, pick a question if you like to, and be first on it. And I'll go to this one first. This comes from Dan Ibrahimi, who said he's uh, at dre eighty eight twenty. He's been on the show before, that's why I know his last name. Um, what is the state of the defensive line moving forward? Was hoping uh, more push with Tooney out. Uh, most worried about Broderick Washington. So I, I guess I'll I'll start with that. Um, I'm really not worried about the defensive line at all. As we talked about in the first show, they played every the five guys played every single snap the entire year. Just absolutely unheard of for one defensive line. And in terms of push, I mean, we saw Matabike had a great game. The main problem with push in this game was that it didn't matter because the ball was out quickly. Um, the Ravens otherwise got a decent relationship between pressure and ATS, 32 to 22 percent. Um, for for a game that I thought, you know, you look at that and you get that against Mahomes and force him to to basically play, play small ball and the other snaps, and you say that's a pretty good pretty good return. Yeah, no, to- totally agree in terms of that return and and the ball out quick made a big difference. The defensive line I think is a strength of this team moving forward, and they should build accordingly. I think we got a question here from uh, Billy Lou asking about the second half and whether the shutout was legitimate or not. And, you know, I talked about this a little bit in the first podcast that we did, or maybe it was the second, but Mahomes was what 11 for 11 right out of the gate. And then after that, you know, if you, if you adjust accordingly, it was just 19 for 28. Um, And I think that that tells you, at least that tells me what you need to know about whether or not it was just them getting conservative and putting it in the bag and whether or not the Ravens made adjustments. It seemed like the Ravens were playing a little bit more man in the first half. I think they were trying to throw Mahomes off. Um, I think they adjusted to more of their zones. You started to see some of those like heavy three defensive linemen adjustments come back in the second half that weren't there in the first half. Um, Those worked. And I think that the Ravens were just testing Mahomes a little bit to see if they threw something different at him, if he was ready for it. And he was. And so they went back to basics and they went back to the core of what they were and they were really successful. I'm just sad that the offense didn't do that too. Yeah. We appreciate the question, Billy. Um, There, there, there definitely was an element to Mahomes not taking chances in the second half. Um, I don't, I wouldn't really even say he took that many big chances though in the first half. So once you're already playing small ball and, you know, 41% of the time, the ball's out quickly is 46%. As you mentioned in the, you know, earlier, I think you're, you're at a point where 
it's not there's not a lot of place to go in terms of less risk in the game and they were still throwing the ball primarily in the second half so it wasn't like they gave up on um on throwing it or, or sorry we're running it a lot more into the teeth of ravens defense that that knew exactly it was coming that happened on the final drive b- before the pass to mvs um so uh i don't know either either way i see by the way uh appreciate the question billy i see this is probably somebody else's secondary account would be my guess since he's got four followers and last posted in 2013 so uh don't know the origin of that question but that's okay we'll treat it like a legitimate question nonetheless uh let's go to dustin cox and he asks a question considering the foreseeable cap situation for the Ravens, is Justin Matabike worth the big contract coming his way, or should the Ravens bank on a combo of scheme, Travis Jones, and a draft pick at his position? Excellent question, Dustin. And I think we started to talk about this, Ken. I think you and I are in the same boat here, where earlier in the year we were both asking questions how much the scheme dictated the value that Matabike brings. But to me, in my book, look, Chris Jones, Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes won this game for the Chiefs. You've got to find your guys that are going to make big plays in big moments, and you've got to pay them, and you got to live with it. And then you've got to ask them to come up with those big plays in those big games accordingly. And so the Ravens, you know, if just they believe Justin Matabike is one of those players, in my opinion, it's not a blank check, but it's a market value check. It's it's a equivalent of what a defensive tackle that's going to bring that kind of heat and bring that kind of pressure for you in these big games. I think you have no choice but to pay him. And I think that's the, the path the Ravens will follow. I, I would I would state it somewhat differently, but I think they certainly will will try and keep Matt at BK long term. I think he's proven his value is enough that the franchise tag is not an outside the box number. So first of all, I'm, I, I say I think he has surplus value to the franchise tag. And if they basically let him walk the street, it's a third round draft pick in 2025. They can get more than that from him if they just tag him and trade him right now and it might be as little as a as a late second early third round pick in 24 that is that is all they can get for it that's still a massive upgrade in terms of draft capital uh from from waiting a year and then you know potentially getting a these these are usually floaters by the way that that the uh the pick is made so it could be somebody else's third round comp pick they're getting next year that you end up getting for um uh losing Matapike. So you you don't want to uh, sorry, no, you don't you, you get a you get a third never mind. You get a third round comp pick, which is gonna be at the end of the third round automatically. And and this right. year you you probably you can you can at least with a player like Matapike define which pick it is that you're getting in exchange for the um uh uh you know for the for the player in this case. And hopefully you know hopefully it's a it's a pick in the first or second round where there's no question of it of what pick it might be. It's a it's an earlier pick, and you know uh, you know what it is. It's it's very hard to, exactly for me to put my finger on this, but my gut tells me it's probably about a second round pick is what they would get for Matabike. It could be a late first round pick that they would get for Matabike, even if they tag and trade him. Uh, and there have been examples going back, but not a lot of good ones. One of the things I always say: football doesn't have good control groups, and this is not a case where there's a whole bunch of tagged players who have then been traded who are on the defensive line who you can point to, Hey, this is the value for such a player. Yeah. I I think that, I think you're probably right. That late second is more the value of what you're going to get. And at that point, I'd rather give up the cap space, pay the man, have him back here, find a way to make it work. Yeah. Would would love to see that of course, be the, be the end result. Um, 
Let's see. I got a question for for Friday morning GM, which we always appreciate. Uh, I think that might do it for the mailbag today in terms of of current questions. But anyway, really appreciate guys. Great questions, and uh, and always appreciate you taking the time to uh, uh, to talk to us here. Uh, Jordan, we come to the end of another very long season here. Anything else you would you would just cap off this season? We talked a little bit about whether or not it was a successful season in the in the first episode. Anything else you'd like to talk about before we uh, call it a night here? I feel less pain right now than I did after Billy Cundiff missed the kick in 2011. And I think that the parallels are pretty similar with Zay fumbling into the end zone, Billy Cundiff missing the kick towards the end zone. Ravens came back. We're really strong after that. We're very good after that. I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot to look forward to on this team. There's a lot of opportunity, even if they're paying Lamar on a max contract deal, I, I think there's no need to throw the baby out with the bathwater here and the 2024 is going to be an equally fun year. Okay. I, I'm, I'm not sure it'll be an equally fun year, but, but I'm looking forward to it nonetheless, but I want to, I want us all to go through a group exercise here. So if you're listening at home, kind of mentally go through this exercise with us. I want, I want you to rank how you feel now relative to and relativize five important points in Ravens history. So the first one is, after the 2006, we'll call it the 2006 because it's the 2006 season, loss to the Colts. Okay. Number two is after the 2008 AFC Championship loss at Pittsburgh. Number three is after the 2011 Cundiff Evans fiasco at the end of the AFC Championship game at New England. Number four is after the 2019 season divisional playoff. Um, uh, ousting by the Titans and now 2023 AFC championship loss at home to the chiefs rank those five for me. I'm going to do it real quick. Yeah. I, I just I, did I, a 2K. I, I, yeah. Let me see. If the, uh, so I do it. The, I'll say, yeah, the, the worst, the second worst, the, Okay. Okay, I got, my, I got my five in order. Yeah, it's a fun exercise. Okay, so hopefully everybody out there has had a few seconds to go through this and hopefully isn't swerving out of their lane as they write these down or, or, or do anything like that. But let's go from, from least the, the one we feel the least bad about. You go ahead and start. Okay, 2008, I felt the least bad about. Okay, it, absolutely. You know, rookie, Ray Rice, Joe Flacco, this team's going to be back, no problem. And they were. They had four more cracks at it, and they won with their least talented team. In terms of, uh, of of getting to the finish line, how about the the second worst? The second this this was probably going to surprise you. The second worst was 2019. Okay, that's that's not where I have that ranked. I'll, I'll tell you, my second worst is 2011. And while that was a terrible loss, that was still a great Patriots team. And the fact that they that they were kicking the field goal already had me thinking they're probably going to lose this game in overtime. But but they had no, no no so but that's like revisionist history. They had the the game was in Lee Evans' hands. Oh yeah, I mean they no, no, had, no. They had I'm, already I'm won the game. They they had actually won that game. Uh, I I was there. Okay, we I jumped <laughs> up and down, hugged Maureen, said we're going to the Super Bowl. We're going to the Super Bowl as soon as I thought that catch was made. And Maureen was the one who actually said no, no, they didn't. He didn't. He didn't hold on. <laughs> yeah, that. But that's why that one's worse to me. Is because they. I, I agree with you. If it was just the act of like the kick, missing the f- kick after that was like why. And I, when I get to it, will be where I rank it. Is it was a gut punch, and then it was a gut punch again. Um, and that was 
I, I, it was awful. <laughs> 2019 was to me a divisional game. It was a young team. It was, I think they just like it, all the, it, or it was a fun year for a lot of reasons and it was prolific offense, but like that, I didn't even during that year feel the same way as I felt this year about that being a Super Bowl team. Okay, so you're you're going to say basically 2019 more correlates to 2008 for you as a team that was up and coming. They're going to have a lot more cracks at it. Correct. And then we know That's how right. that went. Of course, there aren't necessarily a lot more cracks. You might have missed That's your right. chance. That's the Dan Campbell thing that may get him in a lot of trouble is saying that might have been our only chance. You know? so, yeah. Uh, okay, so we, we know where you have 2019. Who's What's number three on your list? Number three is 2006, the McNair loss, which was just – the 15 to that was the 15 to three loss game to the Colts. Right. That was just like 15, six, maybe was it 15? Okay. Might, okay. Yeah. 15, whatever they, they held yeah. Peyton Manning. I, that game had a lot of correlation to this game, actually, where they held Peyton Manning out of the end zone. It's prolific Colts offense, keep them to 15 points and just S the bed. <laughs> very, very significant things to me. No doubt about it. 2023 is the third worst now this is a veteran team they don't necessarily get more chances um and this is a team that was at the top of the devoa list and um maybe i'm able to externalize this just a little quicker but i think we're going to look at the season as being successful anyway we talked about that a little bit and i think that one of the things about that is there just are no guarantees they lost to mahomes but you know honestly it could have been another one where they didn't have an easy super bowl run like the 2006 team really appeared to have teed up for them because the chargers lost later that day um you know that could that could have gone very easy the 2018 you could even say they were going to play the arizona cardinals in the super bowl and they already knew it and they they you know obviously didn't convert against the steelers of course the steelers already knew it too so anyway 2023 is my my third worst and your third worst was 2006 that's right. so your your second worst was was what this year this 23 year. Okay. Well, that's fair. Minus 2019. Um, I think it was worse in a lot of ways because the, the, the Ravens had more of a outstanding offense put together. Now, on the other flip side of that, the defense was was held together with pure scheme and and you know a lot of bubblegum in terms of the players they had there. But they'd made it that far, and that offense, in terms of per dollar a cap, was just so sweet. Um, it really hurt <laughs> after after the big uh, thing. But the 2023 team is undeniably better as a whole. They're they're the best team in Ravens history. So I understand your position on that. And the number one team for you then is yeah, number it was 2011 because they had yeah. it. They 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 had and it, and I think it was the it was beating Brady in that moment too. Like and it's just like the obnoxiousness of some of the Patriots Ravens games leading up to that. And like I just their teams have always just really bothered me <laughs> on, on so many different levels, going back to like the game where they did the illegal substitution bullshit yep. and like, you know, those kind of things like the, it happened and then, and then it all went away again. <laughs> right. Well, that, 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 that actually happened three years later. So that was in 2014 that it happened. Right. But I'm just saying, and, 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 and but, but it was in our hands. It was, it was Lee Evans had the ball. It was, it was done. It was done. And, and then it wasn't. <laughs> well, you know, if we're really adding to that group, you know, maybe 2010 where they had the 21 seven lead at halftime against the, against the Steelers or the, um, you know, the, the two 14 point leads they had against New England in 2014 that 14. they blew. That one, yeah. that one is that one was those hurt too. 
N- number one for me is the 2006 loss. And I, I you know, I told the story too many times on air, so I won't tell it again. But I just we we actually had business plans to meet some partners out at you know play pool. It was just a casual get together, but I couldn't inflict myself on those people. I, I couldn't go to that, and and, and you know the, the way I was cursing and everything. Uh, awful, awful, awful memories of that day. Oh. Anyway. Really appreciate you doing that. Hopefully the other folks had some fun with this exercise, even though it's just a little too soon. Yeah, it kind of <laughs> so, sucked. You know, I said that was fun in the moment because I was like thinking about it, but in retrospect, that sucked again. <laughs> <laughs> a terrible idea. Okay. <laughs> well, the more we think about it, the more cathartic in theory. So uh, hopefully we get through this. Uh, Jordan, always a pleasure talking football with you. Tell folks where they can talk football with you online or find your work. Yeah, they can find me uh, at Raven Sit Room on uh, Twitter. I'd love to chat it up about the Ravens, and uh, we'll, we'll hopefully be looking forward to next year, free agency, draft, et cetera. And Jordan's on the show all the time. He's one of the one of the people I call along with uh, uh, Gabe, who he's did the Situation Room with for a long time. And don't know if, if what the future of that project is, but but a really good pod if you want to go back. There are still episodes out there on FilmStudyBaltimore.com. Take a take a listen for sure. Uh, both Jordan and Gabe are among my favorite people, not just not just people to talk football with. Other folks out there, if you'd like to uh, be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. I'll get back to you very quickly. That should be an indication of how much I want to hear your ideas. And in particular, now that it's off season, we have some opportunity for two and three and four part shows. So hit me up. I'll, I would uh, love to hear from you, and we'll uh, get uh, get down to business in trying to make you uh, your uh, idea for something you're passionate about about the Ravens into a, a single episode or, or more, if that's the case. Jordan, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.